0: Good morning. (laughs) That was awesome. I just enjoyed sitting in the stairwell and just listening and enjoying worshiping with all of you this morning. And um, actually, before that, I enjoyed listening to the trivia. And it made me think of a story that I wasn't planning on telling, but now I feel like I have to. So um, one day a couple years ago, a... I was cooking, and you know when you're cooking, you got to pour off the grease, right? You can't pour it down the sink; that's bad, clogs the sink. So I was looking for something to pour it into, and I found an empty soda can on the edge of the counter, so I poured it in there. I figured that would save a step, and I set it by the like counter by the trash can to let it cool off more before it went in the trash. And then I walked out of the room to do something else, and I came back in just in time to see my husband picking up the soda can like this and it was like everything in my brain was like no, 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 no but like my mouth just froze like I was like and he took this big old sip and then I'm like watching his face process that like this is not soda what is this and he spits it out and then I couldn't even convincingly apologize because I was laughing so hard Anyways, I was like really nervous for like three weeks. Every time I picked up a drink, I was like, what (laughs) is it? But anyways, um, I have a family picture, and that is steadfast love, right? I mean, he still loves me, even though I do things like that to him. And this is um, my husband, Rob. We met uh, working at camp here, and those are our three kids, Molly, Marissa, and Walker. And... Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Um, So, uh, last summer, we got to, the kids and I got to go with my parents, and they took us to go swim with the dolphins, okay? And I have a picture of Walker here, and I don't know if you can tell how big his grin is, but it was fantastic. It was just one of those experiences that's like, so awesome. And you've just never done anything like it. And it was funny when we were walking into our turn, this little girl was coming out with her family and she was like, I just can't stop talking about dolphins. (laughs) And she was so cute. And then we were all smiled and then we went and then we left and we're like, we can't stop talking about dolphins. And I got home, and I just wanted to tell everybody. And then you have to, like, I had to guard myself to not be obnoxious about it, where, like, every conversation is like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of this time that we swam with the dolphins, you know? <laughs> and my friends are like, Sarah, we're talking about the stock market. What does that have to do with it? <laughs> That's not true. My friends and I have never talked about the <laughs> stock market. <laughs> it just seemed like something totally unrelated to dolphins. Um, but... The point is, when you do something, when you taste and see and experience something that is, like, amazing and really good, you cannot help but respond. You can't help but proclaim that goodness to other people. Like, it's a natural response to that kind of experience. And so yesterday, um, Bethany opened us up. We gave her, like, this really easy job of, hey, do, like, a quick overview of steadfast love through all of Scripture. So she did great. And, uh, and today, we're going to look at how we are to respond to that steadfast love. And it's really simple, but it's a big deal. And it's simply that we worship and proclaim his goodness. Um, so let's open to Psalm 103. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verses 1 through 14. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So we were created to worship God. But we are a people that are prone to forget the one true God, and shift our worship to lesser things. But when we remember who God is and what he has done, we cannot help but to worship him the way that we ought. So when David starts this psalm, right, like this idea that we're created to worship, but we're prone to forget the one that deserves our worship, David knows that well. If you listen to his word, he says he's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul, and he's saying, Bless the Lord oh my soul, right? Bless his holy name. And then he says, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's talking to himself. He's trying to stir up and wake himself to worship. He's, he's calling for his whole being to worship all that is within me, not just words, not just empty songs, not just a nod like intellectually to theological truth, but his whole being, his heart, his mind, his soul, to worship the Lord. And then he says, forget not. Forget not all his benefits. And he's warning himself of that because he knows that we are a people that are prone to forget. He knows that personally for himself, and he knows that in the history of God's people. right In the Old Testament, we see this again and again with the people of Israel, we watch that they were in 400 years of brutal slavery to the Egyptians, hopeless to free themselves from bondage. But God sweeps in with plagues and pestilence, and he parades them out of Egypt with a pillar of smoke and fire, and he parts the Red Sea, right? And he, they walk through on dry land, and he swallows up their enemies. And it, the Exodus 14 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And so they celebrate. They play instruments. They dance. They sing songs. And in the middle of their song, they make this big proclamation. You have led in your steadfast love the people who you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. They are reveling in God's love and power. They're acutely aware of who God is, a God of steadfast love, and what he's done for them, redeemed them, rescued them out of bondage, right? Out of bondage and to be his chosen people. And then three days later, three days, three short days later, they're grumbling in the wilderness because they're thirsty. And Bethany mentioned this last night. Three short days right after they walked between walls of water on dry land they are grumbling and complaining and doubting God's provision and it's so easy for us to look at that and think like how is that possible that they could forget that so fast but they did and they forgot who God is and all he had done for them in 3 days they were a people prone to forget and we are a people that are prone to forget um When I first started working here um, way back sometime, 2004, 2005, I think I moved up here, and I was babysitting for a little. I was babysitting Tucker, and at the time he was just like two or three. And um, he was wanting so bad to climb on. We used to have those skate ramps down on the basketball court, and he wanted to climb up it so bad. And he was trying everything in him to get up that little half pipe and he couldn't do it. And so finally, at first he did not want help. He was going to do it. And then finally he got frustrated, so I like interlocked my hands and gave him a little boost, and he put his little foot right here and grabbed his little hand like on my shoulder and a good handful of hair along with it. He scrambles up on top of that platform, and he turned around, and he had this big old smile just grinning ear to ear. He was so proud, and he looked at me, and he said, I did it all by myself, and I was like, really? Huh? But, and I laughed, and it's cute, but we are so much like that, right? Like, there's so many things that we are unable to do for ourselves that God has done on our behalf, and then we want to rewrite history and say, I did that by myself. That was all me, and we forget the benefits of the Lord. We forget the goodness of the Lord. We unlike the people of Israel, we have not walked between walls of water, right? But we have walked from darkness to light. We have walked from death to life, and we need to be careful to forget not the one who parted the walls of sin to get us there. So um, there our consequences to forgetting when we forget, right? Because God has hardwired us to worship. He created us to worship him. So when we forget him, we don't stop worshiping. We just shift our worship to lesser things, right? And sometimes this is like an entanglement in sin. Sometimes it's something that in itself is sinful, right? And it's an addiction or um, pornography or some other kind of stronghold But sometimes it's good things, right? Sometimes it's something that in itself is not a bad thing. It may be a spouse. It could be children. It could be financial security or your health or the approval of other people. And it can be these things that are not all in themselves bad, but they become idols in the way that that happens. You know, I think I always used to think of it like, well, we just elevate them above God and we make them the highest. But the truth is, right, you can't do that. Like, God is most high, and so I think what a more accurate idea of what happens is that it's when we shift our gaze, when we stop looking at who God is and all he's done, and we move our eyes down to one of these other lesser things, then we stop seeing the most high, and we now see that lesser thing as most high, and we deceive ourselves into treating that thing as our greatest source of hope and joy and satisfaction. So, um, and this happens, right? We forget and we shift our worship. Like, I was thinking about this idea of, you know, if you roll a tennis ball across, like, a carpeted floor, you don't have to go stop that ball. Like, it's going to slow and it's going to come to a stop. Why? Why? Because there's friction, right? There's friction. There's a resistance that's working against that, that if you do nothing else, that ball is going to come to a stop unless an outside force acts upon it, right? And there is a resistance in our flesh. There is, if we do nothing, that role of praise and of worship will slow to a stop and we will forget unless an outside force acts upon it. And I think that is exactly what David is calling his soul to. He's calling his soul to a spirit-empowered, intentional action to stir up praise. And it sounds so simple, right? In essence, he's basically saying, remember. This is the antidote to forgetting and to idolatry is like, remember. Remember who God is. Remember all he has done. Intentionally call it to your mind make a practice of reflecting and meditating on it. We need to recite it to ourselves and proclaim it to other people. Um, Remember all his benefits, especially his steadfast love and mercy. So this morning, we are going to remember with David, as we walk through this psalm, um, we're going to remember all of those benefits. Now, this is a good point, I think, to make a qualification. If you noticed when we read through that psalm initially, um, there's three different times where it says, to those who fear him. So great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so there's this qualification in there of who this steadfast love belongs to. And it's to those who fear him. It's to those that belong to God. And for us, that means that this is for those who Jesus has rescued out of sin and death, who have repented and placed their trust in him, and who are now indwelled with the Holy Spirit. It's for those who have received personal salvation. And personal salvation is exactly where David starts with his list of benefits. So let's look at Psalm 103 again. picking up in verse um, 3. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. As he's listing the benefits, all of his benefits, um, one thing that jumps out at me is that it's not separated from the source of that benefit. He doesn't just say, forget not all his benefits. I'm forgiven, I'm healed, I'm redeemed. He said, who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? And so it's not disconnected. Like if we answer that as a question, who forgives your, all your iniquity? Jesus. Who heals all your diseases? Jesus. And so it's like that, the source of that benefit is is right connected to it. And in these verses, I think, David has this beautiful picture of all of salvation. Now, you could spend time meditating and diving into each one of those and like the, the beauty of that truth of removing iniquity, you know, and, and really go deep. But this morning, I want to look at it as a complete picture because I think that's really beautiful too. Um, because when God saves someone from their sin, he forgives all their sin, all of their sin. How? By redemption, right? He redeems your life from the pit. He purchased us back from the pit of sin and death by the blood of Jesus. He removes all of our wickedness and gives us all of Christ's righteousness. And then he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. It's like a picture of a coronation, right? This is such a reversal of position that he snatches us as enemies to God out of the murky pit of death and sin and shame, and then he elevates us to a place of honor as sons and daughters. And we need to remember that. We need to remember not just what we were rescued out of, but what we've been rescued into as sons and daughters of the Most High God who satisfies us with good. He satisfies us with good and renews us. Where there was once only decay and despair, He breathed in new life and hope and joy and youth and strength are renewed. And this salvation that David is listing before his own soul, you know, to stir his soul to worship, is the foundational benefit that all the rest of the benefits rest upon. And it's ongoing. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't say he forgave your sin, he healed you, he satisfied you. He said he forgives. So he forgave your sin, yes, and he forgives your sin today, and he will forgive and forgive until the day that sin is no more. And he healed, and he continues to heal. He crowned you with steadfast love and mercy, and he continues to lavish that on your life from now into eternity because his steadfast love never ends. If we keep going on in the psalm and pick up in verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made, his ways, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Um, he, David is alluding to God revealing himself to Moses and all that he did on behalf of the people, and then we hit verse 8, right? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And this is the lifeblood of this whole psalm, right? Right? This is what everything else depends upon. And you can hear it. Everything else has been actions, things that the Lord does. He, he um, forgives, he heals, he redeems, he works. And then this one is, he is, right? This is a different kind of statement. He is. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So... He forgives, he redeems, he crowns, he heals. Like it's dependent on that. Everything that God does flows out of who he is. And this particular he is statement is taken straight from the words that God used to reveal himself to Moses, which is a big deal, right? Like there's things that we say about the Lord and those are good and those are true. But if it's something that the Lord is saying about himself, we need to really hone in on that. And this is how he revealed himself To Moses on Mount Sinai, the Lord, the Lord, right? Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in Hesed. Like Bethany said last night, it's a truth that's too rich to capture in one English word kindness, goodness, mercy, faithfulness, loyal love, steadfast love, that steadfast love that held up that whole chain of covenants through all of Scripture, leading and pointing all the way to Christ that kind of love, and it's smack in the center of the character of God, and it will never be exhausted. It will never be spent or used up, and it's never finished because God is love. We can remember that, and with David, like, we can rejoice in that. We can say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Um, Picking up in verse 9, it's great because there's this kind of, this beautiful big statement of he is but it's kind of abstract, and then David gives us these more concrete pictures that really help flesh out that idea. So in Psalm three nine, it says, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now, this doesn't say he will never rebuke or correct, does it? In fact, we see in other places in scripture that discipline from the Lord is an outpouring of his grace and a mark of sonship. Hebrews twelve six says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So it's a mark of sonship. It is a grace when the Lord corrects us, but it will not last forever. It's temporary, and it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Um, and so we know that the discipline is a manifestation of his steadfast love, not an enemy to it. In steadfast love, God disciplines his children. We can celebrate that. We can praise him for that. In Psalm 103.10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. How can this be? The beginning of this psalm said, bless his holy name, right? His holiness can't buckle under his love. Like Bethany said last night, all those things have to stay intact. But, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins because he dealt with, to, with Jesus according to our sins. He doesn't repay us for our iniquities because Jesus already paid for our iniquities once and for all on the cross. God shows his love for us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In steadfast love, Jesus sent, I'm, I'm sorry, in steadfast love, God sent Jesus to die for our sins. So celebrate that, praise him for that. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. His steadfast love is immeasurable and inexhaustible. And then out of that steadfast love, he has separated us from our sin. We were once united with our sin. And now, because of his great love for us, he has separated us from it completely. It cannot come back to indict us anymore. In steadfast love, God has separated us from from our sin and given us the righteousness of Christ. We can celebrate that. We can praise him for that. Going on to verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I love these verses. These are some of my favorite verses for so many reasons, but it exemplifies God's long-suffering, patient love and compassion. Now we read this, as a father shows compassion to his children, it's not right that God mimics earthly fathers and learns from them. But a good earthly father will reflect this characteristic of God, which is compassion, right? The definition of compassion says a sympathetic awareness of someone else's distress along with the desire to alleviate it. A sympathetic awareness of someone else's distress along with the desire to alleviate it. A good father shows compassion on his children, and he knows their frame. Um, In our house we have boxing gloves. And those arrived in our house a couple Christmases ago, and they've been great fun. And there's a whole pile of cousins um, between, I think, 14 and five at this point. There's how many? Eight of those in that age range. And so when we get all together, it's super fun to let them wrestle and put on the boxing gloves and, and spar and have fun. Now, the youngest two, mine and my sister-in-law's youngest two are five and six, so they're really equally matched. So we can put those things on them, and they've got the little helmet, and, and they can just go at it, and they're equally matched, and it's not a big deal. But now let's say, like, when we take the 14-year-old, and he comes into the picture, and he's fighting the seven-year-old, what do we have to do? We're like, okay, hey, dial it back to about 60%, okay? Like you You cannot just unload on him. Like and that's the idea of, hey, you need to remember his frame. Remember that he's six. If you unleash your full power on him, you will destroy him. So there's this idea of like recognizing the frame and knowing how to restrain and withhold power so that you do not crush, right? This is a refrain also in our house. Remember their frame. Remember their frame. This is a parenting refrain in our house that my husband and I speak to each other as we deal with issues with our children. And think about it in that context. Like, what does it mean? If I'm trying to discipline my child or I'm trying to walk them through some kind of struggle and I have to remember their frame, it means that you remember that your kids are beset with the same kind of weakness and sin that you are except with a lot less tools developmentally and spiritually to handle that. And so instead of being annoyed by it and frustrated by it, you have compassion on them. You're aware of their distress. You're aware that they're engaged in a spiritual battle, whether they realize it or not. And you desire to alleviate it. So you fight alongside them, not against them. You don't crush them with accusation and shame. You take up arms on their behalf. And this is how the Lord is with us. He knows our frame. He knows the sin and the weakness that besets us. And not just in generalities, right? He intimately knows us. He knows our personal weaknesses and temptations and insecurities and pride. He knows that we're living in a fallen world. He knows the scars of sin from, like, sin that's been committed against you that you bear and circumstances and suffering that you're walking through he knows all of that and he's for us not against us he doesn't crush us right he's patient and merciful and gracious even in correction and he's overflowing with loyal love so in steadfast love god intimately knows us and compassionately cares for us so let's celebrate that let's praise him for that Um, David helps us in this psalm to slow down and just reflect on the character of God and to see how his grace and mercy and steadfast love are made manifest in all that he does. You'll notice in this passage of scripture that there's no circumstances given, like some of the other psalms will tell you what was going on during that time. There's no circumstances. There's no request. David's not making any requests of God. Like there's so, it's such a pure psalm of just straight worship, of just declaring this is who God is. This is all he's done, and so I'm going to worship him. So we can learn from David's example how to call our souls to worship, how to intentionally remember who God is and what he has done, and how to proclaim his goodness to ourselves and to others. So the application this morning is going to be very simple. There's two very simple applications. Number one is celebrate who God is and what he's done in your life. So you can search this psalm like we did this morning or any scripture um, for truth about who God is and how that is manifest in your life and make it personal. I would encourage you if you have a chance today to sit and quietly journal um, and instead of just praising the Lord that he saved sinners, like really take time to think to reflect on the specific pit of sin that you were in, the path of destruction that you were on when the Lord intervened and snatched you out of that, and then how he has continually poured out his goodness and steadfast love on your life since then. And one thing that is really helpful is to use scripture. A lot of times we want to give thanks to the Lord, and a lot of times we get kind of stuck in a rut right? Like, there's like the same five things that come to your mind. You're like, all right, thank you for my kids, and for my house, and my husband, and thank you for salvation. All those things are great things to be thankful for, but sometimes we need to be pushed because the reality is if every single thing that God does flows out of his steadfast love, then there's no shortage of things for us to be thankful for and praise him for. So, Even just the pattern of this psalm, if you take what we did this morning and go sit down and journal and pray through, like, specifically, what iniquity has he forgiven you of? What broken places has he healed or is he healing now? How has he elevated you to a place of honor? How does he satisfy you with good? When have you felt the Lord's hand of discipline? And what fruit did he produce through that? Where have you seen him work justice for the oppressed? We kind of skimmed over that verse um, earlier, so I want to just take a time out real quick and say this. It's, this is a beautiful truth for us to reflect and celebrate, right? It's so easy to get overwhelmed by the sin and brokenness of this world, and it's a great hope to know that God works righteousness and justice for all who are <laughs> oppressed, and it's a great reminder to care about what God cares about, Um, And I think we can look and we can see this. I truly believe that the Lord is doing a work in the church in America right now to root out prejudice and racism and move the body of Christ to expose inequality and injustice and to magnify voices that have too long been marginalized. I believe that, and we can praise him for that. In other ways, there's ministries in this country of people that— rescue women out of human trafficking and defend those who have been sexually exploited, and we can praise God for that kind of work, right, that kind of rescue and redemption. Um, we have missionaries overseas that are ministering to refugees and women and children and people groups who are oppressed, and we can praise him for that. So instead of just being overwhelmed by the sin and brokenness of the world, like look for that grace, look for that steadfast love of the Lord for, on the behalf of people who are oppressed. So our first major point, right, was celebrate who God is and what he's done in your life. The second one is very similar But celebrate the steadfast love of the Lord in the lives of others. Get together with other believers and share the goodness of the Lord in your life and in their lives. Ask them, right? Sharing our burdens is really important. It's a good thing that we do, but sometimes we neglect to share the experience of God's goodness. And we neglect to celebrate that together. And there is no shortage, like we said a minute ago, right? There's no shortage of things to celebrate. You could do this this weekend with the group of ladies that you came up here with. Um, We did this earlier this spring. A group of ladies from our church got together, and we walked through Psalm 145, which is also centered on the steadfast love of the Lord. And we just talked through some of these ideas, like, the Lord upholds all who are falling, the Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. And, in, and instead of just reading those words, like we stopped and said, okay, like, does anybody want to share like a testimony to one of these truths and how that's been shown faithful, like how the Lord has shown himself faithful like that in your life. And it was so encouraging and beautiful to just hear this outpouring of the steadfast love of the Lord over all the lives of the women in the room in so many different circumstances and in so many different ways. So on one hand, that's a great encouragement to our faith. But on the other hand, that is blessing the Lord. That is proclaiming his goodness. And that's part of our worship of him. Also, you can do this in your home, right? Make it a pattern in your home to call attention to the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of the Lord. And tell stories. Tell stories of that to your children, right? Tell stories of that to your grandchildren, um, I was just overwhelmed thinking about the impact on the next generation if consistently they are hearing from their mom or their aunt or their grandma just this endless flood of God's faithful, steadfast love poured out, you know, and just the, the impact that will have on their view and understanding of God. So this could be redemption stories. Tell them your story. Tell them how God rescued you. You know, we do that fairly regular in our house, and and sometimes my kids will ask me that. Like, tell me about how God saved you. That's great. That story does not get old, right? And we can do it with passages of Scripture, and there's so many different ways to do this, but just if we make this a practice and a habit to remember, to remind of God's goodness. It's a really simple application, right? But it has grave importance, because if we are going to worship the Lord with all that is within us. We have to begin with truly knowing God and delighting in him above all else. That's the heart of worship. And that cannot help but overflow into acts of worship, repentance, prayer, praise, serving others, sharing the gospel, right? These all start with a heart of worship, of understanding who God is and what he's done. We were created to worship. We were created to worship Jesus, But we are a people prone to forget the one worthy of our worship. So we remember on purpose. We call to mind what we know, not just know about, but what we know in relationship to our creator, our God, the one who rescued us from sin and adopted us as sons and daughters. We have to focus our eyes on him and how he has undeniably and unceasingly flooded our lives with his steadfast love and mercy. And when we do that, we will say with David, and with all that was in within us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless his holy name. So I'm going to pray, and then we are going to worship together and bless the Lord in song. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to just slow down and meditate on the truth of who you are and what you've done. God, I pray that you would stir our souls to remembrance and to worship, and that we would... Um, be able to lift our voices along with every part of all that is within us and worship your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.